And so I want you to look again with me, verse 17 of our text. You'll notice it happens to be, of course, the sort of absolute favorite verse of every sidewalk atheist and soapbox skeptic in all of the world. It says, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city. Now the stock question, of course, that's been posed for hundreds and hundreds of years especially by various skeptics and and unbelievers, is the question, where? Where did Cain get his wife? Which apparently is supposed to be some sort of a gotcha question. Matter of fact, this was the question that was asked by the ACLU lawyer Clarence Darrow to William Jennings Bryan, the famous Scopes trial in 1925. It was also used in Carl Sagan's book, Contact, and later the movie where the character Ellie becomes a scientist instead of a Christian. It was also posed in the famous play Inherit the Wind, which later became a very misleading film. If the Bible is true, they say, then who was Cain's wife? And of course, every Bible-believing Christian is somehow supposed to be staggered into silence and defeat, unable to answer that question. Where did Cain get his wife? And yet, the truth is, God in his word makes no attempt to hide the origin of Cain's wife whatsoever. And in fact, not only tells us where she came from, but also includes far, far more truth about Mrs. Cain than most cynics and unbelievers ever want to face. Cain's wife is not a mystery, not a dilemma at all. On the contrary, she is an illustration and a reminder of the most critical and profound spiritual truths in all of God's Word. So I hope you listen very carefully this morning. I want to speak on the subject, Father of the Bride. Father of the Bride, please, Father, help us now to open our hearts and minds to your Word. The song that Brother Terry sang a moment ago with that blessed appeal for people to open their hearts to the Savior. Somebody in here needs Jesus today. Somebody in this room needs to be saved. It may be a church member who's assumed all along they're saved. Please help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. R.A. Torrey, who was known in his day as an honest, humble intellect, was once called upon to deal with a certain skeptic and answer all of his questions, his nagging questions about the Bible. When Dr. Torrey met the man, he asked him very simply, are you a sincere skeptic or are you just, just a crank, he said. The man said, well, all I want to do and all I want to know is, is one question. Who was Cain's wife? Dr. Torrey looked him in the eye and said, sir, if I can answer that question for you, will you then listen to the entire gospel afterwards? The skeptic shrugged his shoulders, and after a few minutes of conversation, Dr. Torrey was able to get the man to open up and talk with him and eventually admit that his life was a mess because of his own personal choices and sins. And before long, R.A. Torrey said that sure enough, the man wasn't really troubled about Cain's wife, but in fact was in trouble with someone else's wife. In other words, as it is with most all of skeptics' arguments, it's against Scripture, the question of Cain's wife is really more diversionary, if you will, than anything else. And what's really interesting about that is that the identity and character of Mrs. Cain, the actual person in Scripture, sheds so much light on the message of the gospel itself so that her story 
is really our story. So if you're here today and you really want to know the answer to the question, who was Cain's wife, then folks, all you really have to do is look at the very first revelation in Scripture concerning her. Who was she? Number one, there are four things at least, but the first one, number one, you'll notice, she was the daughter of sinners. Chapter 3, look back if you would at verse 20. It says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Now, I am sure that many, if not most of you here, still remember the covers of Time Newsweek magazine some years ago, although first it was in Nature magazine and Scientific Journal. And it was an issue where a study of mitochondrial DNA revealed that all of us as human beings descended from one single female who lived thousands of years ago, not millions and millions of years ago. They nicknamed her Eve. Since then, there have been all kinds of debate on, in the scientific world about mutations of mitochondrial DNA and whether or not the father can also pass down the mitochondria in a cell. And this has gone on. Scientists were somewhat upset, some of them, by the study because that research didn't fit well into the, into the old narrative. But, you know, whatever they put on the cover of a magazine, Time or Nature or whatever, one thing we know, the same Moses, think of this, the same Moses who wrote Genesis 4 also wrote Genesis chapter 3, meaning that he realized and understood that Cain's wife was the daughter of Adam and Eve, which spiritually speaking means, again, that she was the daughter of sinners, And you know what? If she doesn't fully realize that as a girl, she'll be sure reminded of it as a wife and a mother. Chapter 3, verse 16, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children. And then you notice this in chapter 4 and verse 17, again, our text. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Do you notice, by the way, that Cain, note this carefully, did not meet his wife on the east side of Eden. The word knew or know there is a euphemism in the Bible that's also applied to Adam and Eve in chapter 4, verse 1. Adam knew his wife, Eve. You see, believe it or not, a lot of skeptics think that Cain met, knew his wife in verse 17. When, in fact, he didn't meet her in the east of Eden, he took her there with him. And, of course, as was already established back in chapter 3, this woman was the progeny of Adam and Eve. In fact, if you look at chapter 5, there's a whole summation of Adam and Eve's life given by Moses. Look at verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man and the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Well, that's a pretty brief synopsis, isn't it? Of chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Now look at chapter 5 and verse 3. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Well, what happened to Cain? What happened to Abel? And who knows who else? In 130 years of marriage by this point, from the very beginning, remember, God commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply that command way back in chapter 1. So you see, folks, this text is a very condensed summary of Adam's life, and it includes what he says in verse 4. Now follow this very carefully. It's important. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years. And he begat sons and daughters. Now wait a minute. Sons and daughters? 
When exactly were they born? Well, assuming they obeyed the command to be fruitful and multiply, many, 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 many were born in those 130 years. In fact, when statisticians use a simple math calculation, the expected population growth, if you look at verse 7, it says that Seth lived 807 years. He begat sons and daughters. The last line of verse 10 says that Enos lived in 115 years. He begat sons and daughters. They estimate that by the time Adam was 900 years of age, there could have been 4 billion people on the face of the earth and multitudes and multitudes of people for Cain to choose from way back in chapter 4. He said, but pastor, you're saying then that Cain had to marry his sister or his niece. No, I'm not saying it. The Bible's saying it. And guess who's writing it? The very same Moses who also wrote in the law that it's forbidden to marry a close relative. Now, folks, hear this carefully. That law was given 2,500 years after Cain married his wife. It was given 450 years after Abraham married his own half-sister, which Moses also records in the book of Genesis. And you know, in none of those instances is Moses compelled to blush or to cover it up or to embellish it. You see, remind you that these patriarchs lived for centuries for a reason. Cain's wife was the daughter of sinners, but they were physically all but nearly perfect. That very study on DNA in Nature magazine stated that genetic mutations have gotten worse and worse and had continued to grow worse from that first woman so that it did not become healthy to marry a close relative, not even in West Virginia. I'm just kidding. I love West Virginia. I was born in Virginia. But this is the reason God prohibited it. But it was a different world before the flood. Longer lifespans near-perfect genetics, near-perfect environment, Eden is still in the picture. And yet notice what happens when you're near-perfect. Chapter 5, verse 5, the days of Adam lived were 930 years and he died. You know what? 930 years is staggering. That's a long time, but he still died. Verse 8, the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Verse 11, the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. And so it goes, and sure enough, the lifespans will get shorter and shorter and then much shorter after the flood. It goes like this throughout this entire chapter, reminding us that as Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Do you know why we're all dying? Because we're all sinners. In other words, who was Cain's wife? She was the child, just like you and I, of sinners. And the soul that sinneth, the Scripture says, shall surely die. It brings us to the second thing we know about Cain's wife. Not only do we know that she was the daughter of sinners, but she was also, you'll notice number two, the wife of a sinner. Chapter four, look if you would at verse eight. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. He killed him. Verse 16, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord to dwell in the land of Nod in the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived. Now, folks, I want you to think for a moment about what it must have been like for this woman to marry the first murderer. The first murderer. And then to go with him, quote, out of the presence of the Lord into a whole other place to live, to exist, and to die. 
It is a powerful reminder of all the hardships and the trials and the troubles that exist in that life that come to us simply because as sinners who live in a sinful world, we take our nature with us everywhere we go. I don't think it was very easy for Mrs. Cain to be married to a man like this. We know that by the end of chapter 4, her offspring followed her husband's footsteps and they killed a young man. And you can be sure that that hurt found its way into the heart of Mrs. Cain, not just from her great-great-grandchild, but from so many of her family. And that brings us to the third thing we know. Number one, she was the daughter of sinners. Number two, she was the wife of a sinner. And then number three, as we just noticed, she was also the mother of sinners. You know, you young people in this room, if you only knew the heartache and the pain that you bring into a mother's heart when you go out from the presence of the Lord and do harm to yourself and others. These long lifespans were both a blessing and a curse. A blessing because living for centuries with strong bodies for hundreds of years, can you imagine the skill and the knowledge that you would acquire? Barry, if you could have 500 years to practice your golf swing, I mean, give him 500 years to develop his golf swing with a youthful body. He could probably break 100 after 500 years. (laughs) Imagine taking piano or guitar lessons for 500 years. I mean, you should be catching on after a while. That's the blessing. What is not such a blessing, of course, is what sinners can become in 500 years and 600 years including all of the accumulated sorrows and heartaches and failures. Pat Nod and I talk about just finishing well. We just want to finish well, just in terms of decades. I can't imagine centuries. I don't think life was easy for this woman. In spite of the glory and the beauty of the pre-flood earth, I imagine Mrs. Cain with all of those children, innumerable undoubtedly, Eventually, all of them going through their relative teenage years. I guess in those days, you were rebellious at 150 or whatever. (laughs) Mark Twain once said that when a child turns 13, remember this, you should put him in a box six foot by six foot with nothing but a hole there that big to feed and for him to breathe through. And then he said, when the kid turns 16, plug up the hole. In fact, can I tell you a little theological truth I figured out a while back? The reason, the reason God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac when he was 12 is because when a child turns 13, it's not really a sacrifice anymore, amen? <laughs> I love teenagers. Come on. It's funny. Every time I do something for my mom, it's a little simple errand, bring her a meal, whatever it is. She always says, Jimmy, don't you wait on me. You don't have time to go and pick that up for me. You don't need to do that. So finally I said, Mom, after all the crazy stuff I've brought you through, it's just payback time. She looks at me. She says, Honey, you don't have enough lifetimes to pay me back. (laughs) So now I just ignore Mom. I don't really care. Why try? My brother and I say this all the time. We literally had the perfect mom. But her life was never easy. Never. Cain's wife understood and experienced all of the burdens, all of the disappointments and worries that come 
by nature of a child's disobedience and pride so that this woman, the mother of sinners, the child of sinners, the wife of sinners, was quite frankly no different than any of us, including the fourth thing about Mrs. Cain. And that is that number four, she was also the sister of a believer. Follow this carefully. Chapter 4 again, notice if you would, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, folks, I want you to hear this very carefully. It is true, obviously, and the Bible makes no attempt to cover it up, that Cain's wife married a relative. But it is also true, since Eve is the mother of all living, that even today, if you don't marry a human being, then you don't really marry a relative. That's just a fact. There was a couple in Bible college who were dating, and every time they met each other, and all, his name was Jean, and her name was Ina. And he'd say, hi, Ina, and she'd say, hi, Jean. And so we called them hygiene and hyena. <laughs> but she wasn't a hyena. She was a human. And in a true technical sense, as God said in Acts 17, 26, he hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. We're all sinners. We're all related. But wait a minute. Because just as was true of Mrs. Cain's own brothers, Abel and Seth, who believed in the redemption of God, there are those around us who are the same. Chapter 3, if you would, look at verse 15. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. A woman doesn't have seed. It would have to be a virgin woman between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know that's the very first prophecy in the Bible? It is that the seed of Eve, that means a virgin woman, her child, thus our relation, would ultimately put an end to all the sin and misery. Satan did bruise Jesus' heel. But the Lord Jesus crushed his head. And since the time of Seth and since the time of Abel, there have always, always been those in our midst who were believers and thus became children of the living God. My freshman year in Bible college, I was given a bus route in Chicago. And of course, working in some pretty rough areas and almost entirely with Hispanic children and teenagers. There was one boy I'd been witnessing to each Saturday when I'd go to the route from Puerto Rico. His name was Louis. One Saturday afternoon, he said to me, hey, Mr. Jim, he said, if I get saved like my brother's brother got saved, I can't get high no more, can I? I said, Lewis, are you high right now? Nah, man, I'm not high right now. I wish I was. I said, well, I am. He said, oh. (laughs) He said, you preachers get high. What are you high on? I said, Lewis, I've been high since I was 12. What? I need some of that. What you got? Anyway, I told him what happened to me when I was his age. I said, just like your family, Lewis, I got a knock on my door. 
And when my mom answered the door, there stood a bus captain, a lady who wanted to know if me and my sister would simply ride the bus to church. And Lewis, I did ride the bus to church. And I heard the gospel. And I got saved. And I'm still not over it. Now, that's been 40 years since that time I met Lewis, and I'm still not over it. Thank God for the sons of Seth. Thank God that all around me at that time, there were those who brought me to the Savior's feet. Thank God for sinners who are also believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who call upon the name of the Lord. Lewis got saved that day, baptized the next day. And for the next four years, never needed to get another high again. Child of sinners, parents of sinners, siblings of sinners, the spouse of sinners, yes. But thank God there are those who have been redeemed and transformed by the saving power of Jesus Christ. And no matter what happened to or around Mrs. Cain, she could always look at her brothers Abel and Seth and see that there is a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness evident in the lives of those who testify to the power of God. I read a book a while back. It included the story of a mother and a father who lost all three of their children one, one week from diphtheria back when that could happen in those days. A few days later, it was Easter Sunday, and the pastor and his son were walking home from church. And his son noticed that not only was this father and mother who lost their children, not only were they in church, but through their tears they sang the hymns. They greeted visitors. They opened their Bibles in faith. And the boy said, Father, the Walthers, they really believe it, don't they? His dad said, believe what? His son said, you know all of it, Easter, eternal life, salvation, the whole big thing. And his dad said, well, of course, son, all Christians believe it. And the boy answered, not the way they believe it. You see, beloved, it's not that Seth and Abel or any of Seth's children were without burdens and without trials. Of course, they were for centuries of their lives. The same trials as Mrs. Cain and all sinners. No, it is that in addition to that, the love and the light of God have been shed abroad in their hearts by faith. They called upon the name of the Lord. Who was Cain's wife? She, beloved, was a child of Adam, just like you and I. And just like you and I, she experienced more of her share of heartaches and trials and tribulations in this world. But also, as with you and I, Mrs. Cain was blessed with the lives and testimonies of those who were sinners but saved by God's grace. You know, it's powerful and amazing to me how the Holy Spirit of God inspired Moses to write about the first humans and the first families. Because again, you know, by the time Adam died, there would have been millions, millions, perhaps billions of people and millions of families on the face of the earth. And yet the focus in the beginning of Scripture is the exact same at the end of Scripture, which we've been studying on Wednesday nights. It's not millions and billions and billions of families in the book of Revelations. It's two. Two. In Genesis, it's the family of Cain and the family of Abel. It's the secular family and the spiritual family, the family of faith and the family of the flesh. And in fact, you may recall that it was really only two families that Jesus addressed as the Son of God wherever he preached. 
He talked about the broad road and the narrow road. Sinners who are lost and sinners who are saved by grace. I read a memoir a few years ago by an old fire chief in Boston. He said that he was being interviewed and the reporter asked him, when there's a call, what's the first thing that you do when you get to a fire? He said, the first thing that we do is we drench the house with water, we knock out all the windows, and we chop up all the furniture. The interviewer said, what's the second thing you do? And the chief answered, the second thing we do is make absolutely certain we're at the right address. (laughs) Sounds backwards. (laughs) Can I say this to those of you who are watching where you are or those of you in this room? Pretending to care where Cain got his wife before caring about the salvation of your soul is getting it exactly backwards. Cain's wife was a sinner. She was the daughter of sinners. She was the wife of a sinner. She was the mother of sinners. But she was also the sister of a believer. For some of you in this room, I wonder if you will be that believer unashamed of Jesus and the gospel. As Paul said in Philippians 2.15, we are the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in this world. To that I say, rise up, O people of God, and be counted, calling upon the name of the Lord. For others in this room, it's time to make absolutely certain you have the right address, that your name is written in heaven. It is time as a sinner like all of us to put your faith and your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. There are people in this room right now. You know, we've said this before, but there were 12 apostles. One of them was a traitor. One out of 12. And those aren't just rank and file believers. Those were apostles. If you were to go by that alone... There will be many in this room who are not believers, not true children of God. Today is the day of salvation. There are only two families, children of God and what Jesus said to even religious people, you're of your father, the devil. There's the broad road and then there's the narrow road. We're all sinners. There are sinners who are saved by grace and sinners who are condemned already. Which are you? Christians in this room, you say, I know I am. Then rise up. Call upon the name of the Lord. Be a blessing. When's the last time you gave the gospel to anyone who is lost? The last time you were light in a dark world. Father in heaven, bless now the invitation. As we commit it as always into your hands, we know that there are people in this room who know you as Savior and know Christ as Savior. And maybe they're discouraged. Maybe they're downcast. Remind them, Father, of your love for them. As we spoke to the teenagers in Sunday school earlier, that our heart can condemn us, but you're greater than our heart. Help those who are brokenhearted and heavy-hearted. And help us all as your people, Lord, to be convicted to the need of being lights in this dark world. For those in this room who are not saved, and some raise their hands, I pray for them. You continue to draw them to your son, the Lord Jesus. In every way, use this invitation for your glory. In Jesus' precious name. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. 
If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.